Well, good evening. And for those of you who want to continue in a posture of worship, we're going to get ready to give. And I want to start off by thanking you for your generosity in giving. Because because of your giving, we're able to continue with our children on Instagram. If you go to New Hope Marvelous Kids, we're continuing to reach our kids on a regular basis. Um, on Thursdays and Fridays, we're able to continue reaching our youth. And there are so many um, rooted and growing groups that are popping up all over the place. Not to mention on Wednesdays and Sundays, we're reaching not just the homes here in Hilo, not just within our nation, but throughout the world. And that's because of your generosity and your heart to obey God by continuing to give. Now, if you feel that you want to give, you can do that. There's four ways to do that. You can do that online via the app. You can go um, uh, through regular mail. You can text through New Hope Give. It's all right there, right below me. So um, go ahead and give. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you that your church doesn't stop because, Lord, this building that I'm standing in is not the church, but the people, the people who are gathered in houses throughout this nation and throughout this world. That's your church. And as we rise up, Lord God, to obey you, to do what you've asked us to do, would you receive what we're sending in, what we're texting, whatever we give, Lord God, and would you use it to continue to multiply to continue to reach those who need hope. And Lord, we're in a world that needs hope right now. Would you continue to uh, multiply that so that we can send hope? And we pray this all in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to continue on in our series through the Bible. And tonight, Pastor Sheldon is going to be sharing that there's always hope. And he's going to be coming out of the book of Isaiah. But before we get started, we're going to take a look at a video that's going to give us an overview of what's happening as Isaiah's writing what we now know as the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. So let's take a look at this. The book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived in Jerusalem in the latter half of Israel's kingdom period, and he spoke on God's behalf to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah. He spoke, first of all, a message of God's judgment. He warned Israel's corrupt leaders that their rebellion against their covenant with God would come at a cost, that God was going to use the great empires of Assyria and after them Babylon to judge Jerusalem if they persisted in idolatry and oppression of the poor. But that announcement was combined with a message of hope. Isaiah believed deeply that God would one day fulfill all of his covenant promises, that he would send a king from David's line to establish God's kingdom, remember 2 Samuel 7, that he would lead Israel in obedience to all of the laws of the covenant made at Mount Sinai, remember Exodus chapter 19. And all of this was so that God's blessing and salvation would flow outward to all of the nations, like God promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And it's this hope that compelled Isaiah to speak out against the corruption and idolatry of Israel in his day. Now, the book has a pretty complex literary design, but there's one simple way to see how it all fits together. Chapters 1 through 39 contain three large sections that develop Isaiah's warning of judgment on Israel. And it all culminates in an event pointed to at the end of chapter 39, the fall of Jerusalem and the exile of the people to Babylon. But in chapters 1 to 39, there's also a message of hope that after the exile, God's covenant promises would all be fulfilled. And chapters 40 to 66 pick up that promise of hope and develops it further. In this video, we're just going to focus on chapters 1 to 39. 
The first main section focuses on Isaiah's vision of judgment and hope for Jerusalem, and it begins as Isaiah accuses the city's leaders of covenant rebellion, idolatry, injustice, and God says he's going to judge the city by sending the nations to conquer Israel. Isaiah says that this will be like a purifying fire that burns away all that's worthless in Israel in order to create a new Jerusalem that's populated by a remnant that has repented and turned back to God. And Isaiah says that that's when God's kingdom will come and all nations will come to the temple in Jerusalem and learn of God's justice, bringing about an age of universal peace and harmony. Now, it's this basic storyline of the old Jerusalem purifying judgment into the new Jerusalem. This is going to get repeated over and over throughout the book, getting filled in with increasing detail. So, at the center of this section is Isaiah's grand vision of God sitting on his throne in the temple. And he's surrounded by these heavenly creatures that are shouting that God is holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah suddenly realizes just how corrupt he and his people Israel are. And he's certain that he's going to be destroyed by God's holiness, but he's not. God's holiness, in the form of this burning coal, comes and burns him, but not to destroy. Rather, it purifies him from his sin. And as Isaiah ponders the strange experience, God commissions him with a very difficult task. He is to keep announcing this coming judgment, but because Israel has reached a point of no return, his warnings are going to have a paradoxical effect of hardening the people. But Isaiah is to trust God's plan. Israel is going to be chopped down like a tree and left like a stump in a field. And that stump will itself be scorched and burned. But after all of that burning, God says that this smoldering stump is a holy seed that will survive into the future. It's a small sign of hope, but who or what is that holy seed? The rest of this section offers an answer. Isaiah confronts Ahaz, a descendant of David and a king of Jerusalem, and he announces his downfall. God says that it's the great empire of Assyria who will first chop Israel down and devastate the land, but there's hope. Because of God's promise to David, he's going to send after this destruction a new king named Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Emmanuel's kingdom is going to set God's people free from violent, oppressive empires. And Isaiah describes this coming king as a small shoot of new growth that will emerge from the old stump of David's family. It's this king that's the holy seed from chapter 6. And the king is going to be empowered by God's spirit to rule over a new Jerusalem and bring justice for the poor, and all nations will look to this messianic king for guidance. His kingdom will transform all creation, bringing peace. Now, you finish chapters 1 through 12 with a pretty good understanding of Isaiah's message of judgment and hope. But when will this all happen? Isaiah saw another empire arising after Assyria, and that's Babylon, who would also attack Jerusalem and actually succeed in destroying it. And that brings us into the next sections of the book. So first, we have a large collection of poems that explore God's judgment and hope for the nations. We learn, first of all, of the fall of Babylon and Israel's neighbors. Isaiah could see that Assyria's world power would one day be replaced by the empire of Babylon, a nation even more destructive and arrogant. Babylon's kings claimed that they were higher than all other gods, and so God vows to bring Babylon down. And not only Babylon. Isaiah goes on to list Israel's neighbors, accusing them all of the same kind of pride and injustice, and he predicts their ultimate ruin. 
But remember, for Isaiah, God's judgment is never the final word for Israel or the nations. And that leads into the next section with a series of poems that tell a tale of two cities. There's the lofty city that has exalted itself above God and become corrupt and unjust. This city is an archetype of rebellious humanity and is described with language that's all borrowed from Isaiah's earlier descriptions of Jerusalem and Assyria and Babylon all put together. This city is destined for ruin, and one day is going to be replaced by the New Jerusalem, where God reigns as king over a redeemed humanity from all nations, and there's no more death or suffering. These chapters are the climax to this section, and it shows how Isaiah's message pointed far beyond his own day. It was a message for all who are waiting for God to bring his justice on violent, oppressive kingdoms and bring his kingdom of justice and peace and healing love. The following section returns the focus to the rise and fall of Jerusalem. And first we find a whole bunch of poems where Isaiah accuses Jerusalem's leaders for turning to Egypt for military protection against Assyria. He knows this will backfire. And Isaiah says that only trust in their God and repentance can save Israel now. Which gets illustrated by the following story about the rise of Hezekiah, king of Jerusalem. Just as Isaiah predicted, the Assyrian armies come and try to attack the city, and so Hezekiah humbles himself before God, and he prays for divine deliverance, and the city is miraculously saved overnight. But Hezekiah's rise is immediately followed by his fall. So he hosts a delegation from Babylon, and he tries to impress them by showing everything in Jerusalem's treasury and temple and palaces. It's clearly an effort to make another political alliance for protection. Isaiah hears about this, and he confronts Hezekiah for his foolishness. He predicts that this ally will one day betray him and return as an enemy to conquer Jerusalem. And we know from 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25 that Isaiah was right. Over a hundred years later, Babylon would turn on Jerusalem, come and destroy the city, its temple, and carry the Israelites away to exile in Babylon. And so all of Isaiah's warnings of divine judgment in chapters 1 to 39 lead up to this moment. He's shown to be a true prophet because it all came to pass like he said. But remember, the purpose of God's judgment was to purify Jerusalem and bring the holy seed and messianic kingdom over all nations. And it's that hope that gets explored in the next part of the book. But for now, that's what Isaiah chapters 1 to 39 are all about. Well, first of all, I am thankful that God gives us hope. And as we journey through the Bible together, you're going to find, you know, some ups and downs in the Bible, some dark times. But God is always bringing hope. And that's what the book of Isaiah kind of highlights that although God was bringing some judgment and he was showing the people what they were dealing with and, and their wickedness and who they were becoming, he, he still gave them hope. And that hasn't changed today. God still gives us hope. In the midst of all that we're going through in our world, God still gives us hope. He has not given up on mankind. In fact, he loves us so much that he, he gave us a way to find him once again, that in the world as we stray from him, we're able to come back to who he is and who he created us to be. As we journey through the Bible this year, we're taking bits and pieces from every book uh, in the weeks that go by and try to learn a couple of things from each book. And of course, we can't learn everything in the book, but we try to grab bits and pieces from each book of the Bible so that we can learn about our relationship with God and how that affects us in our world today. And when we talk about the book of Isaiah, really the theme through it all is that there is always hope. And if you are using our church online 
uh, or reviewing from church online, there is a place for the notes. In fact, there's a place where you can chat. I believe all uh, platforms, even Facebook and, and YouTube, you can chat and, and you know, kind of connect with us. But when it comes to pulling these things out of the book of Isaiah, we're going to look at five things that, that we can pull out of the first 39 chapters of Isaiah and see what God is speaking to us and, and how we can uh, see in our world, even though it may be dark and there, are, there is evil and there are things that are happening that we do not agree with, there is still hope. God gives us hope. The other week we were talking about where do we, where do we go as a church and, and how, do we, how do we move as a church in these trying times and, and, and where's our stance as a church with different things that are taking place in our, in our nation and we went to the book of Hebrews chapter 12 where we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's, that will always be our heart behind everything, that we will always fix our eyes on Jesus, not on uh, some type of movement or some type of uh, organization. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And then it's through that that we'll be able to now go into the world and be effective for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of, the, of this world. And unless we have that hope in our hearts, we're, we're, going to, we're going to be pulled emotionally by the things of the world. So fix your eyes on Jesus, stay close to him, and, and always know that God will always bring hope into our life as a believer. And if you're a non-believer, if you have yet to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, uh, there is a difference in living in this world, or there is a difference with living in this world not knowing Jesus and living in this world knowing Jesus because there is a strength and inner peace that surpasses all human comprehension that believers have. Now, I know there are some that as believers, it doesn't seem like that. It seems like we're just like the world. Well, that's because we forgot to fix our eyes on Jesus. Once we take our eyes off of him, we blend in with the world. We don't want to blend in with the world. The world needs to see lights shining so that they too have hope. The world doesn't have hope, but we do as believers, so we should shine that. What Isaiah does is Isaiah announces God's judgment, and it's, it's interesting that he starts off that way. You know when you write a letter to someone, you can tell what a person is going through by how they start off the letter. Heidi and I have a, a journal that we write in, and it's just for us, and we just write letters to each other, and we just encourage each other. And in, when we write, we don't start off with, you know, yesterday... When you said this, we start off with, I start off with, hi, Heidi, or I call her mama. Hi, mama. And then I'll write, you know, thank you so much for yesterday and doing these things. Or I'll, write her, I'll read her uh, letter that she wrote, and she always starts off with encouraging words. And the whole thing is encouraging. This is not what Isaiah is doing. Isaiah comes from a totally different perspective. He starts off with judgment that God is going to purify Israel. Now, the purification, that's great. But he starts off with, you're, you're, you're going to be judged. This is what you're doing that is not going well. But he also brings the hope that God is going to purify his people so that the coming of the Messiah, we can prepare for that. We can bring in the, the, the Lord himself, the King of all kings, speaking of Jesus Christ. And that's what Isaiah is doing. He's bringing, he's bringing the warnings against Israel's sin and their rebellious ways. He's letting them know I'm, I'm, even though we're rebelling, even though we're in this, this predicament of, of rebellion against God, there is still hope. 
because the Messiah is coming. I'm, I want to still give you a message of hope. And Isaiah brought such a depth that would carry that weight of hope for centuries even long after Isaiah passes away, we still have that, or they still had that hope of the Messiah coming, that there would be someone who would save us from all that is happening. Now, Isaiah, he is a Hebrew. He was born in Jerusalem, in Israel. And he, when he was born and coming into his, his prophetic ministry or that calling that God had on his life, he's, he's, his basic message was, I want to bring to you a message to help save you from the destruction of sin. That the hope is that God is going to bring us a savior. And Isaiah lived about 700 years before the birth of Christ. So you can imagine for many of the Israelites, they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then many of them just gave up. So by the time Jesus actually shows up 700 years later, they're still waiting. They're like, this can't be him. I mean, we've been waiting forever, so this can't be him. Why would he be like this? And you can imagine from 700 years or from Isaiah's time to the time of Christ, how many other things or or thoughts were added on to the stories of who Jesus would be, who the Messiah would be. That, whoa, how is he going to be? Is he going to take over the Romans? Is he going to take over the world? Who is he going to be? You can imagine the hope that they had. So by the time Jesus shows up and Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, that many people couldn't understand that. So they're thinking, well, what kind of king are you? That's what many of the leaders asked him. Even the governing officials that were not Jews the Romans would ask, then who are you? What kind of king are you? Like, so you're saying you're a king? What? So people were trying to figure out what kind of Messiah he was. But Isaiah prophesies about who he is 700 years before. And Isaiah, when he's speaking of Jesus or he's, he's, he's prophesying about the coming of the Messiah, he's, he's using key words because of who Jesus is and where they are at this time. So it almost sounds like destruction, destruction, destruction because of your rebelliousness. But he, need, he needed to address that so that they knew where they were coming from and where they were heading. That if you stay within your rebelliousness, there will be constant destruction in your life and for us as a people. But if you repent and you turn to God, then there's life. As he continues to kind of hammer down, this is the hope that we have. What he is also doing is he's letting the people know that you have a choice. You can stay in your rebelliousness or you can look forward to the hope that lay ahead. What are you going to choose? It's up to you. So they were able to at least get a picture of, of what Isaiah was trying to accomplish. Let's look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 2, 4, 6, and 17. And let's just get a, a basic feel of, of where Isaiah is going with all of this. He says, listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. So you can already see that Isaiah is using word pictures. He's using words that people can relate to. Heavens and the earth, which brings us back to the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Isaiah 
once again reiterates, listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. You are battered from head to foot, covered with bruises, welts, and infected wounds without any soothing ointments or bandages. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Isaiah just basically kind of lays out what we're going to deal with as human beings in our world, which is timeless. Isn't it true that today we need to learn to do good? We need to do good. There are many bad things that are happening. There are, there are people doing peaceful things, but then you have people doing other things that are not peaceful. That's causing destruction. In order to do good, it's something we have to learn. So Isaiah says, learn to do good. Seek justice, which is where we are as a country. We all want justice. And it's not just for uh, individual situations or individual things. It's, it's justice for all. We live in a country that is built on freedoms but that there should be justice for all to help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, fight for the rights of widows. Just think about what Isaiah is doing. He's laying a foundation for what we're going to deal with throughout our history. And if we can pull five things from chapters 1 through 39, in fact, this is just going to be part one. We're going to take a break next week, and I'll explain why. And then Pastor Marcia is going to continue the week thereafter on the rest of the chapters, uh, chapters 40 uh, through 66. But here's what we, what we learn. Here's the first thing that we can pull from the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah. It's this, that God's holiness can burn us or purify us. It's dependent on our perspective and our heart towards God. Because you can use heat to cook food and serve it to someone and warm their hearts, or you can use the heat to burn someone to torture them. Depends on how you want to use it. God brings his holiness to purify us. His holiness reveals our wickedness. Not so that we feel bad about ourselves. It's so that we see not just the wickedness in us, but how holy and righteous God is so that we can turn to him because he is holy and righteous and he is just and forgiving and loving. His holiness reveals so much in us that should draw us close to him. Isaiah chapter 5 verses 15 and 16 tells us that humanity will be destroyed and people will be brought down. Even the arrogant will lower their eyes in humiliation, but the Lord of heaven's armies will be exalted by his justice. The holiness of God will be displayed by his righteousness. So it's not just talking about God's holiness, his holiness is displayed by his righteousness. He's a righteous God. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, it tells us that in the year that King Uzziah died, so it's giving us a time frame and a, a time in history, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, 
high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I thought, wait a minute. You're saying that the whole earth is full of his glory. If I look at the earth right now, it does not look like the whole earth is full of his glory. It just doesn't look that way. But the book of Revelation also reiterates that the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I think we make the mistake of looking for God's holiness and his glory when things aren't going well. And so we're looking for God's absence rather than his presence. We listen on the news and we have yet to hear the good things that are taking place. The question is this. Where are these creatures getting their source of information on God's holiness and his glory? You know where they're getting their information from? I can tell you not the news, not social media. They're getting their information from the righteousness of God. That's why there is always hope. Our hope is built on God's righteousness, not when things go right in the world. It's built on God's righteousness. The second thing we can pull from the first 39 chapters is that God offers his salvation in response to our repentance. I love that God gives us, gives us the freedom to choose because in the end, it's going to be on me, not on God. God did everything to bring us to a place of righteousness, to a place of forgiveness and, and knowing that we're loved. Now it's our part. It's, it's on us to do our part to repent, to change our mind. That's what repentance means. It means to change the way you think. Which right now in our nation, everyone is after the way you think. Every organization, every political party. By the way, there, there are no political parties in heaven. In fact, there is actually one. It's called the marriage banquet. That's the only party that there is in heaven. Here on earth, we have so many different Perspectives, And so what happens is everyone wants to get your thought process and capture your thinking. Because they know if they can get your thinking, then they're able to steer you wherever they need you to go. That's why with, with all the information that comes our way, we can miss the glory of God because we're focused on information of the world versus God's righteousness. That when we look to his righteousness, we're able to see his salvation. We're able to come to a place of repentance. In chapter 6, Isaiah says, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Here am I. 
send me. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. What God is saying is, I have everything that they need to come to a place of healing, for understanding, so that they can see, so that they can hear. I have everything that it takes. But who will go? Send me. Here am I. That's what Isaiah was saying. Here, send me. I, I can go. I'll be the one. You know, I think if you have your driver's license, try to remember when you first got your driver's license. Wasn't it so exciting when your parents or whoever you lived with said, hey, can you go to the store? You're like, yeah, yeah I'll go. Like you actually, you, you volunteered yourself to go to the store, to go anywhere. Like, it, like you wanted someone to get something or needed something so that you could go. And you say, no, no, I got it, I got it, I got it. I'll, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. You sure? Yeah, yeah, I'll go, I'll go. And you're just driving. It's so, like you felt so good. You're driving. And, and if you had sounds in your car, you'd roll on the windows and blast it. And then you, maybe you're driving a different route so that you could cruise a little bit. And you felt so good because you could drive. And then you go to the store. You're shopping. You're feeling so good. It's like, yeah, I'm shopping. I'm going to put this in my car. I got a car. I'm driving. So yeah. And then you grab the bags and you put it in your car. And then you're driving home. You feel so good. You take your time driving home. You don't, you don't rush into things. You take a longer route because you're driving. And it feels so good. And then four days later, you're like, I don't like a store. I got to go every place. How come every time somebody telling me to go? Well, it dies off after a while. That new feeling of I'm driving. And now it's like we battle with going to the store. And we throw hints. It's like, oh, man, we ran out of paper towels. Oh, we need that. The party's going to start in like an hour. We got to get paper towels. I know. We got we to get paper towels. <laughs> it's the cooking. We got to get paper towels. Yeah, me too. I'm cleaning up outside. We need paper towels. Yeah. Like no one wants to go. Something happens along the line that we first wanted to and then we fight who should. It sounds like us as believers, doesn't it? In the beginning, when we first come to know Christ, it's, I'll go, Lord. Who do I need to pray for? Who do you want me to witness to? I'm going to tell my brother, my sister, my mom. To the point that they're sick of us. They're saying, stop preaching to me. Why? Because we want people to know the good news of Jesus Christ. So we said, Lord, send me. Lord, where do you want me to volunteer? I'll volunteer. I'll go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do. But as time goes on, after a while, it's like, I I don't want to do that, Lord. That's not my job. That's not my responsibility. Tell so-and-so do it. Or find someone else. Go. Someone else can do it. It's like, I cannot, Lord. I'm busy. Let the younger people do it. Let the older people do it. After a while, we lose that urgency of why he wants to send us in the first place. He wants to send us because the world needs to know that there is always hope. Right now, the world is going in a circle. What we're dealing with today, we've dealt with before. Look throughout history. How many things have been repeating itself? And we always say this, and maybe not we as in you personally, but as a society, we we constantly say this. Change is coming. If we elect this person, change will happen. 
If we, if we elect this person, change will happen. We're constantly looking for that. And you have, you know, half the country saying yes to this president. The other half saying boo to this president. There's always going to have that. We'll always deal with political mayhem. We're always going to have that. But what Isaiah reminds us of is as believers, we're the only one who brings hope into the world because of Jesus Christ. So will we still say, send me? Next week, June 15th through the 17th, our president of Foursquare, of our Foursquare denomination, Pastor Randy Remington, uh, gave us an email. And you may have gotten it if you're on that email list. If not, hopefully a link will pop up in the chat. And you can go to that link, and it'll give you the heart behind what we're going to be doing next week. And, you know, on Sunday, we talked about where do we go as a church? And we always said this. Well, we're, we're always going to start with prayer. How do, we bring, how do we bring hope into our world? Well, we've got to start with prayer. So next week, Monday through Wednesday, our, the president of Foursquare uh, of our denomination is calling for fasting and prayer. And it begins on Monday, and then we'll end on Wednesday, and we're going to end next week, Wednesday night, with a prayer night. And so we're preparing for that. We're going to broadcast, still live like this, our prayer night. And you can be a part of it too because we'll be praying. And what we'll be praying through, you will get. Uh, that way you'll see the prayer points. Uh, at the same time, you can decide how you're going to fast if you want to be a part of that. Now just with a, a brief teaching, fasting from food. It could be one meal. It could be the entire day. It could be the entire three days. You need to consult your doctor first in order to make that decision, though, because of certain, uh, it's, a, it's a, for some people, you need the necessary nutrients. So before you fast, talk to your doctor and see how that could be possible. And then we're going to start next week, Monday, which would be Sunday night. Once it hits 12 midnight, we would begin, and then we would end on Wednesday midnight, which is Thursday, actually. Uh, but that, that will give us a, a foundation as a church body, as believers, the direction that God is ushering us towards. That we're going to be the people that says to God, send us. Send us. We're going to be the ones, Lord. We're going to be the ones that are bringing hope into this world. And so uh, next week, June 15th through the 17th, that's why I said we're going to take a break from our series. And we're going to have a prayer night next week, Wednesday. And then we're going to continue with our series uh, the following Wednesday which would be the 24th, okay? So that's the second thing that God offers his salvation in response to our repentance. There's always hope. Let's not lose that hope. The third thing we can pull is that rebellion comes with a cost. But Jesus paid the price for us. So if rebellion comes with a cost, which is what happens as children, right? I mean, if, if, we're, if we're rebellious children with our parents, tell me there's not a cost. Here in Hawaii, we call it getting Lickens. There is a cost. Why? Because our parents love us enough to discipline us to steer us in the right direction. So there is a cost to being a person of rebellion. And so it is in the kingdom of God. In fact, the Bible even tells us that rebellion is as the sin of divination. Divination is like witchcraft, sorcery. So Isaiah says, listen, and, and he starts off with it, that you're a rebellious people, Israel. So God is going to bring his judgment because he is a just God, but he is also a righteous God. So repent, turn to him. There is salvation. 
In Isaiah uh, chapter nine, uh, 7, verse 9, in the second part, he says this, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Now, you, you, your faith is very important. Rebellion comes with a cost, but Jesus paid the price for us. Therefore, we can stand firm. In other words, what Isaiah is saying is, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And it may seem like you're standing, that you're, 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 you're standing for the good things of, of what you believe in. And God is saying, but if your faith is not there, then it doesn't matter what you think you're standing for. You're not going to stand at all. It's going to be empty because I'm not involved in who you are. You're just standing, but there's no faith. That's why I love how Isaiah prophesied about Jesus Christ, that he gave hope to the Israelites when he said this in chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Isn't that what we're looking for? Peace, justice, righteousness. And he ends with this. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Oh, we can have zeal, and that's fine. It's, it's, it's good for us to be zealous about the things of God. But in this case, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What we just talked about, what this scripture is, is, is speaking about. See, Jesus quotes the book of, of Isaiah eight times. If you read in the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, if you read those, you're going to see Jesus pull from the book of Isaiah. It's amazing how Jesus is still connected to the prophet Isaiah in that kind of way because Isaiah was speaking of him. And during Jesus' ministry, as he quotes from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah being that prophet who wrote about the coming judgment of both Israel and the world. Jesus comes in and brings the comfort that only God can bring. And he says, yep, you did these things. Yes, you're a rebellious people. You have sin in your heart, but I came to bring life. I am going to bring salvation to the world because the world needs to be saved. Here's the fourth thing we can pull. We're not destined for ruin. We're destined for righteousness. Even though we have rebelled against God or we have, we have sin in us and we were separated from God, God's, God's goal and his intention and his, his love for us and him creating us has always been for righteousness, that our destiny would be righteousness, that we would be declared righteous in his eyes that we would, we would be pure before him. But if we take a look at our own lives, it almost seems like there's, I need righteousness right now, and I need God in my life. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 15 and 16, it says that the Lord will make a dry path through the gulf of the Red Sea 
He will wave his hand over the Euphrates River, sending a mighty wind to divide it into seven streams so it can easily be crossed on foot. He will make a highway for the remnant of his people, the remnant coming from Assyria, just as he did for Israel long ago when they returned from Egypt. It's, you know, basically what Isaiah is saying is, no matter how difficult the terrain, God will always make a way. No matter how difficult life is, the season is, the way the world is, is heading, or the direction the world is heading, God will always find a way. If there's a river that's so big, he'll split it into seven streams. What else do you need? Well, the Red Sea, how am I going to cross that? I'll make dry land. Like, with God, there's always a way. Why? Because there's always hope with God. In our marriages, things are falling apart. Well, I'll make a way. What do I need to do? Repent and come to me. Is that it? Yep, that's where we're going to start. And then you need to humble yourself. God always has a way. The question is, are we going to choose the route? God will make it. It's our choice to choose it. Or do we want to do it our own way and try to swim across and struggle through it? Or do we say, Lord, this is still a struggle, but your way is a whole lot better than that way. I'd rather cross through the Red Sea on dry ground than try to swim across it. God says, I can make a way. You just turn to me. You're not destined for ruin. You're destined for righteousness. All of these phrases that Isaiah brings, he, he brings so that we can, we can see that, that God, how God does things, that in the way that God does things, he's, he's doing it in such a way that we see that there is hope ahead, that even as a believer, as a Christian, a Christ follower, that we can embrace the prophetic words of Isaiah as well as the life that Jesus gave for us. That he died on the cross for our sins. In the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 7, I wanted to bring this in because it, it, Titus really speaks to God's righteousness for us. And it tells us because of his grace, speaking of Jesus, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. He's just reiterating what Isaiah was trying to bring. That you're not destined for ruin, you're destined for righteousness. The fifth thing that we can pull from this is that with God's judgment comes God's hope. You cannot have one without the other. God is a just God, he will bring judgment, but because he is a loving God, he will bring hope. He will always bring hope. Jesus quotes Isaiah to describe the disconnect between mankind or God's people, the Israelites, and their God. So Jesus is constantly looking back to the book of Isaiah to let the people know you've been separated from God, but I'm going to bring you back. I'll bring that hope to you. And because of what Jesus has done, God's mercy has been declared and has been proven on the cross. Isaiah even says, but the Lord will have mercy on the descendants of Jacob who is Israel. And this is Isaiah chapter 14. He will choose Israel and his special people once again. He will bring them back to settle once again in their own land and people from many different nations will come and join them there and unite with the people of Israel. The nations of the world will help the Lord's people to return and those who come to live in their land will serve them. 
Those who captured Israel will themselves be captured, and Israel will rule over its enemies. Israel is a great nation because of how great God is. And Isaiah was prophesying this long before Israel once again became a recognized state. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all, says Isaiah. And you might be thinking, well, I don't know, I don't know how to. I don't know how to stand firm in my faith. What does that even mean? What does that even look like? I'm having a tough time right now. I, I, there's so much oppression on me. My faith is depleted. I feel like giving up. I don't even know if God is in my life. I don't even know what hope looks like. It doesn't even look like there's hope. But it's because of Jesus who was firm in his mission that there will always be hope. That's who we turn to. I want to close with this. I want to read Isaiah chapter 11 and I'll read from verses 1 through 12 and uh, Jamie can come to the keyboard and the worship team can actually come up. Isaiah chapter 11, I'll read from verses 1 through 12 and then we will end our night together. It, It begins in this way. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father uh, King David from his roots a branch and notice that the word branch is capitalized a branch will bear fruit the spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord and he will delight in the fear of the Lord He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the, water, as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations, uh, for the peoples, the nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving, the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. You know what Isaiah was saying? 
that there will be peace. And it will come through the branch who is Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, there will always be hope. Don't give up. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Even though the world looks hopeless, because of Christ, there is always hope. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you for the hope that is in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have given us eternal life, but also you have given us peace that surpasses all human comprehension. Sometimes we stray from you. Well, sometimes we rebel against you. But what Isaiah brings and reminds us of is that peace comes through you. We just have to shine that light, Lord. Help us to speak the name of Jesus over everything. It's not just his name. It's who he is. It's who you are, Lord. So help us tonight to be those people who brings hope into the world. Restore us as we speak Jesus to the world. We thank you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.